One thing I'm learning a lot more about in this season, you would think as many years as I have in ministry that I would have already learned all the lessons, but it's not true. One of the things that I'm learning is even more of the tactics of the enemy and the subtleness, the subtlety of the devil, just the subtlety, the, the ways that he worms his way into our attitudes and into our actions and our choices. Almost every week when I'm with other pastors on Wednesday morning, they and I are sharing what we see today that we have seldom, if ever, seen before. And I mean, there are guys in this group just like me that can say over half a century I've been in the ministry and I've never seen anything like what's going on today. I had just been weighing some thoughts about becoming dull in our faith and dull in our courage and dull in our purposefulness of life in the Spirit. When I received this video from my friend Mike Lim in Tuxla, I talk with him regularly on the phone. And um, you can tell by his uh, short video report there that he's dealing with many of the same issues there that I've been addressing here in the pulpit. This is a time when we should see what the church is made of. We should see what the church is made of. But as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, I'm going to go ahead and read the next verse as well, verse 13. It says, each one's work will become clear. This is a time when it's becoming clear. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, what the NIV says there is, will test the quality. Now, we know this is the day it's talking about the coming of the Lord, the end times, but that precept that is, he's teaching there is true all the time. And as Paul said, sometimes what is revealed in the church is more wood, hay, and straw than it is gold and silver and the precious stones of real godly character. And I'm afraid that what's being revealed today is a lot of wood, hay, and straw in the body of Christ. Some of us are surprised. Some of us are surprised even about ourselves. Let's be honest. We're surprised at how near to the surface selfishness is. I want my way and I like it this way. And we get angry if we don't get our way. Some of us are surprised when we find out just how close to the surface that is. Some of us are surprised when we find how close to the surface anger is. It's just right there. And we said, ooh. Uh, that's not me. I've never been like that. Please, let me give you a little headline here. That's probably you, but you've just gotten really good at covering it and shuffling away from it and kind of putting a little bit of glitter on it. Um, but it's there. It was there all the time. And right now what's going on is that anger is being uncovered and our impatience with others and our dislike for others and our, our prejudice, our racial prejudice is being uncovered. Our fear is being uncovered. Our depression is being uncovered. And we say of all these things, oh, that's not me. I've never been like that. And the truth is, 
You probably were always like that, but as I said, we got good at sprinkling a little holy water on it and kind of making it look and feel okay to us. Thinking about regaining our edge reminded me of a a scripture that somehow I logged away years ago, Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 10. And it says, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. In other words, you've got to keep the axe sharp all the time. And if you don't, you're going to find yourself just working harder. Just working harder. And it's just sweat. But wisdom teaches us to maintain the edge on our spiritual life Especially in a day like today when we are all experiencing some challenging times. And listen to me, I I hope you'll get this. Staying sharp is a daily assignment. It's not a once a year assignment. To say, oh, let me see if I need to sharpen my life up a little. I mean, especially right now, staying sharp is a daily assignment because life is full of stuff that will dull your vision and will dull your faith. You've heard me say this before, or some form of this. I remember the long rows of corn on the farm growing up. We'd go down each row, and we'd cut the weeds out of the corn. What what happens is in that old way of farming, now farmers today, they've got these big equipment, and they can do all kinds of things. We didn't have any of that. We had a little cultivator that we pulled along behind our little Ford tractor, and when the corn got up about that high, you couldn't do that anymore because the cultivator wouldn't clear the corn. So when you've got two kids, my sister and I, that then all of a sudden it becomes this. Hey, guys, get a hoe and go out there right after school. As soon as you get home from school, go out there and start hoeing that corn. You've got to go, hoe that 20-acre that field of corn over there. And it was a quarter of a mile down those rows. Boy, I know. A quarter of a mile down them and a quarter of a mile back. And you make one loop down and back, hoeing the weeds out of the corn because the cultivator couldn't do it anymore. And when you get back, you know what's waiting for you? A jug of water, a shade tree, and a file. A file because that hoe has to be resharpened when you get back there. Because what you're doing all down that row is you're cutting into the dirt along with those weeds. You're cutting into it, and every time you cut into that dirt, it dulls your hoe a little bit. And believe me, from going down those quarter of a mile rows, you want a good sharp hoe so that you can just put it on the base of that weed and it goes, and you can keep walking. So putting the edge on our life is something that I have seen the reality of that in a very physical way. The church was built for the engagement of the dulling forces of the world. We were built for this. <laughs> this, As Peter said, this is not strange. We shouldn't look up and say, oh, this is strange. Man, I didn't, I, I didn't think anything like this would ever happen. The Bible tells us we, we need to be warned. Keep our hoe sharp. Keep our life sharp. Keep our axe sharp, to use Ecclesiastes. I want to talk to you today about some principles of regaining our edge. And I want to give some credit 
to uh, Gary Wilkerson for a message I had on my, in my file about regaining our passion. Let's go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please, let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we can dwell. These, uh, these young leaders, young men being trained up, they saw a need. They offered a solution. A very practical thing. They need a larger place in which to meet together in. So they suggest going down to the Jordan Valley, which had more timber, more trees. Makes sense. So we'll have access to more timber and more trees, and we can build a new place there for us to meet together in. And Elisha just said, go. Go for it. He didn't fast three or four days and said, I'm going to think about it for a week. It was just a decision of wisdom. It was just a decision of wisdom. When something goes wrong, many people say, uh, will say something like this. Ah, apparently we weren't led of the Spirit. I'm going to give you another news headline. You can be led of the Spirit and you can be acting in wisdom and you can still have problems with what you're doing. You can still have problems with what you're doing. Wise decisions still carry the risk of loss or failure. They do. But without risk, we just kind of stay in a dead sea of sameness and lethargy and even laziness. Just kind of up a lazy river. And so these young men, they didn't try to over-spiritualize their desire. I like that. They just said, we need a bigger place, and there are trees down there by the river. So Elisha did what wise leaders tend to do. He gave them an opportunity to act on their vision. He doesn't say, oh, I was thinking about that myself the other day. He doesn't say that, oh, you know, God told me this last week that we were going to be moving soon. He didn't try to co-opt their vision. Have you ever seen anybody do that? Ooh, it happens all the time. Especially leaders that are insecure. If you mention something to them and it's, it's a good thing, they'll say, yep, I was just thinking about that. Yep, God told me that just this last week. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, was, I already knew that. They want to co-opt on to uh, the thing that's presented to them. And it's always lack of wisdom that prompts us to do that. Um, do you know what's rare among spirit-filled people, especially spirit-filled believers? These words. That's a great idea. I think God's in that. I had not thought of that before. Aren't those great words? People need to hear those words much more often than they do. We don't say it very often. We want to co-opt and kind of claim part of it for ourselves. Elijah just said, yeah, go for it. But they almost immediately ran into a problem. 
You see, spiritual leadership, which takes the risk of trusting others, also takes the risk of problems happening that can be very difficult to solve. That's why I say to young men, enter in, young men and women, enter into the ministry carefully. Your heart will be tested beyond anything you ever thought. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 now. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Somehow this young millennial had gotten hold of some equipment that was rare and was costly, an iron axe. Now, believe it or not, that really was a costly thing, and it was a rare thing. He was aggressive. He was passionate. I'm sure he was swinging hard and fast, excited about this new computer he had. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure he was just going for it and very excited about it. He saw that the job could be improved with new equipment. He said, hey, I think I've got a solution here. So he probably talked some rich landowner nearby into borrowing his very nice axe. Talk somebody into it. Now, little footnote. The law of Moses said that if you lose or break something that you have borrowed, that if you can't just pay it back, that person can make you a servant, a slave, in his home and to his family until the cost of that is covered. And the Jordan River was big and deep at this time. That axe head was really lost. And Moses' law said, you got to do something about it. Can I just sidestep here a little bit to give you a present-day application from my real-life experience on this, on this Old Testament law of Moses? If you borrow a vehicle from someone... It gets dicey here, huh? It gets ouchy. If you borrow a vehicle from someone, never, ever return it with the gas tank lower than when you borrowed it. The gas tank should be above where it was when you borrowed it. Don't ever forget that Pastor Gary said that. And the seats should not be filled with trash. There shouldn't be fast food cups and containers thrown around in the cab. Even if it was that way when you borrowed it, it needs to be returned, cleaned up. No trash in the floorboard. No muddy boots in there and all the trash that goes along with it. A clean, neat... If you borrow a pickup or use a pickup, make sure the bed area is nicely cleaned as well. Just saying. Likewise, if you borrow a tool from someone and you break it, here's what you got to do. You pay them for the tool or you have the tool fixed before you return it. You tell them exactly what's happened. That is common Christian kindness, and it's really based upon that Old Testament law. If you borrow something, you need to be responsible for it. It's as simple as that. This young man's passion... As a millennial, 
got him into trouble. <laughs> and he did what probably any of his millennial friends would do. He cried out to the prophet. Verses 6 and 7. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. And he cut off a stick and he threw it in there. And he made the iron float. And therefore he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. You know what? Real leaders who have God's heart also have big hearts and big shoulders. If you're a real leader, you don't get to wimp out. You just don't get to. That's not one of the options. Real leaders know that everyone who takes the risk of moving in their gift area is going to sooner or later run into problems that they're not going to have the solution for. It's like parenting. Isn't parenting that way? <laughs> the only way to be a perfect parent, are you ready for this? Don't have any kids. <laughs> then you can tell everybody else how to raise their kids. Yeah, sure, it's as simple as that. It's not our job to criticize other people or to shame them or to guilt them or to point out how the faults of someone could have been different and could have done it better. It's our job to help them get back on track and help them find the axe head that they lost. I've said so many times before, the church has got to be a safe place to fail. It's got to be. If we're not that, we're not church. It's got to be a safe place to fail. It has to be a place where you can lose your axe head or your head. Either one. Without shame. When we regret and when we repent for losing our head or blowing it. Remember the word that I've taught you? Remember the words that I've taught you from time to time? Here are the words. I won't ask you to repeat them today, but I have before a number of times. Remember these words? Here they are. Ready? Ready, class? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Tough words to say. A lot of people won't say them. They'll work their way all the way around to keep from saying it. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? That's the biblical formula. So when, I, when someone has that attitude, when someone has that attitude then our place is to help them get their axe head back. Church has to be a place where risk can be taken. And I tell you what, uh, I am in a new place in my own life right now, and in my role as a pastor, you wouldn't believe it at my age, but it's the truth. I am being challenged in things that I have 
always said and always thought and always said it should be this way. And I have people from time to time even come to me and say, that's not the Southgate way. <laughs> I've been here almost 21 years. Who do you think invented the Southgate way? <laughs> Hello? That's not the Southgate way. Yeah. <laughs> and I know some of you are thinking, you're so spiritual, you're thinking, God invented it. Well, you should have seen it when he had it all by himself. You know, just say it. <laughs> I'm not talking about crazy risks. I'm not talking about being stupid. That's where my job comes in. I discern stupid. Stupid and weird. Those are the two things I get to discern. But reasonable risks. And I'll tell you what, in this day and in this hour, some old wine skins are getting stretched and this is one of them. Some old wineskins are getting stretched, Charlie. And if you're not being willing to be stretched, you're not going to birth any babies. Get it? If we're not willing to be stretched, we're not going to birth any babies. We're not going to have life. We'll just be the Dead Sea of Sameness Church. Elisha just simply asked a practical question. Where did it fall? Where did it fall? You know, sometimes we're helped just to remember. I, I am. I am. Where did you lose your edge? Think back. Where did I lose my edge? Where, where did I lose my passion? Where did my faith get dull? When did that happen? I tell you what, a lot of people in the church thought they were ready for tough times. And now they just feel like they lost their axe head. I don't even know where that thing is. I don't know when I lost it, but I know I don't have it anymore. It's buried somewhere deep in the waves of pain and disappointment with God. Yeah. And doubt. Man. When I said that, I'm thinking of Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God. If you haven't read it, read it. I've made it through it a few times, and it's a book that's a classic. Disappointment with God. It'll make you think. It'll make you think. And some of us may realize where we lost our axe head when we're reading Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God. And some are just not sure they can or want to regain their cutting edge. They just kind of like the dullness, kind of like the lukewarmness. A person said to me one time that I was counseling, I, I remember it well, even though it was many years ago at Christ for the Nations. They came into my office, and it was one of the students. And they said, if it hurts this much to be a Christian, I'm just not sure it's worth it. Yeah. It's hurt so much to be a Christian, I'm just not sure it's worth it. Listen, you don't have to come and see me. Or pay a professional counselor or therapist to kind of get a handle on that. 
Here's what I've recommended to dozens of people. Get alone. Get quiet. Get your phone turned off. And ask the Lord to show you where you lost your way. Where you lost your gift. Where you lost your axe head. You lost your passion. Ask the Lord. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying every every single time, but I bet nine times out of ten, people have come back to me and said, God showed me. God showed me. But here's the hard part, family. This is where it gets really ouchy. This is where it gets really tough. You have to want that thing back again. You have to want that edge again. You have to want that desire again. You have to want that passion again. And that's what Pastor Miguel was saying. And one of my pastor friends just a few weeks ago on Wednesday morning, he said, I'm just afraid that some of our body are going to decide that they just like sleeping in and they like having a mid-morning brunch and they like relaxing at home much more than they like gathering with the body of Christ. And you know what? Twelve pastors in the room just nodded their head. One of them. Yeah. Family, I'm not, I'm not talking about... I mean, we have people Zooming today. I'm not talking about whether you're Zooming or not. That's just a piece of technology. And some people have very good reasons for not being with us. I absolutely respect... I respect personal choices and personal decisions all the way around this whole issue. This is not about that. I'm talking about... A heart issue. I'm talking about being so weary in the battle that you're almost where that young man said, if it hurts this much, I'm not sure it's worth it. You know what one woman said who left Southgate? She said, you know, I thought I understood what family was. But when I came here to this church, she said, family's at a whole different level in this church, and I'm, not, I'm just not sure I want that. She left. I'm just not sure I want that. It hurt too much. It was probably some of that shame and guilt and lack of validation that our brother was talking about earlier. Jake said the truth, didn't he? Said the truth. Disappointment with God. Listen to Galatians 6. I think it's verse 10, 9 or 10. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart, if you don't lose heart, if you don't just hang it up, just hang it up. It's not just people doing bad things that lose heart. In fact, it's not usually people doing bad things. It's people doing good things who don't see the result that they expected. But I think Pastor Miguel is right. It's a day of separation. And not everyone is saying, where did I lose my edge? Not everybody's saying that. Many are saying, it's just easier to be lukewarm. But I'm going to tell you something. Lukewarm is a dangerous place to be. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. So when the axe head floats, 
What does he say to the young man? He says, pick it up for yourself. Did you notice that? Pick it up for yourself. Listen, no one else can do that for you. No one else can do that for me. You got to pick it up for yourself. Michael, in the last men's breakfast, had a, a little form to, uh, for us to respond to some questions on a, on a sheet and gave it to all of us around the table. And one of the questions was something, Michael, like, I, I tried to remember it and I didn't have the sheet with me. What kind of year has it been for you? Something like that. And I remember my response on my sheet was unbelievable. Unbelievable. For five months of last year, I had to pick up that axe head every single day. And regardless of the kindness and care of others, no one could grab that axe head for me. I had to get up every day and choose to take the axe head. Everyone has got to do that for themselves. Nobody can do it for you. And I'm going to tell you, when you get older, it's harder. The older you get, the harder it gets. God will make the axe head float, but he won't grab it for you. You've got to grab it for yourself. You've got to get hold of that thing for yourself. Five months, I had to do it every single day. God will take you through seasons where you've got to just choose to take that axe head. In wrapping up, one thing we're learning today as a church is that the church is called to be more than big screens and fog machines, right? Many are pretending that everything's good, everything's as it always was. I heard of one large church that's having uh, meetings. They, they closed back in the end of February, I believe, and have never reopened for in-person meetings again. And they've actually gotten really technically good at this. I don't want to say who it is, because it really is a church in our area. And, it's, and I admire this pastor, but, but he's actually developed it to such a point that he has like response tracks and things like that where people, they would say things and people, you would hear people chuckle and laugh. Well, he's got amens and all of that going. So when he says something to make a point, um, the congregational response can be heard. The problem was that apparently, one of the pastors told me this, he was watching his program and he said the camera zoomed and I was hearing this response and he said they just happened to mistakenly zoom past the, the congregation and there wasn't a single person sitting there. Ouch! And another church has an organ. I can't always say this without laughing. An organ track. So when they say something that's making a point, the organ track makes a crescendo. <laughs> I got an email recently from a guy that I know quite well, actually. I wouldn't call him a friend, but I know him quite well. And... Uh, <laughs> And it was from, put his name in there, Ph.D. And I, I looked at that, and I kind of chuckled to myself, and I said, that man is as far from a Ph.D. as anyone I know on the planet. I mean, I know this guy pretty well. And, uh, so I wrote to my friend Robert Summers that I knew knew him well. And I said, hey, Robert, 
I, I sent him an email. I said, hey, Robert, I said, I, I got an email today from so-and-so, and I said, he's got Ph.D. after his name. I said, how'd he get that? And Robert sends me an email back, and he said, cost him $500. You can get one, too, on the Internet. <laughs> oh, if we just pretend. Pretending is just Disneyland. Pretending is just Disneyland. Pretending is delusional. God has not called us to Disneyland. He has not called us to delusion. God is calling us to the reality of restoration, getting hold of our heart, resurrection, raising up to new life of the things that have even died in you. Lazarus was dead three days. That heart was getting hard when Jesus spoke. It began to quiver and shake and life came and blood began to flow and softening came to the flesh. God can do that to our heart. God can do that to a vision. God can do that to a ministry that's been lost by someone, totally lost. And God can restore our edge again. Amen. Yeah. yeah, he can do that. But we've got to want it. You've got to want to get hold of it. And I can't do that for you. But he's able, if you'll trust him. I think I have a word, and I don't, I don't know if it's for many. I think it may be for one or two. But the word is this, simply. As you heard me say... About Lazarus, God can take those dead things and bring them back to life again. You almost verbally said, but not me. It's too dead. It's too far gone. But the Lord says, I can do what you can't imagine. You have thought that everything was limited to what you believed and what you feel. But I want to say to you that I have mercy, and sometimes my mercy even reaches beyond the grave to the deadness that is within, when you don't even feel it anymore. But I am there in my mercy and in my compassion. My compassion drives me to those places of death. And sometimes I simply choose to bring dead things to life. And the Lord says, I know you fear that. I know you fear that. Because that means something. That means that you have to enter again into the pain of following me. But I'm calling you to that. And I will give you the grace to do that says the Lord.